Well, good morning, Lakeview Church. So good to be back with you today. And can we just take a quick moment and just express our appreciation to Redeem from IWU. Thank you guys so much. It's a little weird to be led in worship by kids of the friends that you went to college with. It's like, how is this even possible? I know your parents. How is this possible? Um, And so, but so exciting to have them lead worship with us today, and they did a wonderful job. It's so good to be back with you. Last week, uh, Sean and I were coming back from the north country of Canada. Uh, We went up to Canada for a week, and... Uh, I don't know, over a year ago when the NHL schedule came out, we realized the Washington Capitals, which is our team, they were going to be traveling uh, in the provinces of Alberta and British Columbia all in a single week. And we thought, this is a great opportunity for us to knock off three more arenas from our hockey bucket list. And so... We had been planning all along, praying for COVID to reside, you know, just kind of go down so we could get up there. And then we were praying for truckers to get off the bridge. I'm all for democracy, but I wanted those truckers off the bridge because that was going to block us from getting into Canada. Thankfully, God opened up the bridge and we were able uh, to go to Canada. We spent a night in Calgary, uh, which was really, really cold. And then we drove north to Edmonton, which was also really, really cold. And then we flew to Vancouver, which was much warmer. And we had a great time in all three of those cities. Uh, For those of you who know anything about hockey, you know that anytime a team plays a game, there are two points available for that game. And so we had six points that the Caps could win while we were in Canada, and they won five of those points. And so we got to see two overtime games, so we got our money's worth and got to see two Capitals wins and one Capital loss in an overtime, but we still got a point for that game. So uh, super excited to be back with you today and feeling just rejuvenated after a week of hockey. I mean, I, I just, I can't explain to you how much uh, it's just good to, to get to do that with my son. So um, last week while I was gone, uh, we were actually traveling back on Sunday last week and got into town pretty early on Sunday morning uh, after an entire day and, and nighttime of travel. And, uh, but while, while I was gone last week, you guys as members of the church met in a specially called session of the local church conference, which is when members of our church get together and conduct the business of the church. And you guys met to consider the local board of administration's recommendation uh, that you as a church would extend to me a four-year call to serve as your pastor. And last week, the members of this church voted uh, 119 yes and eight no to extend that call. And uh, I just want you to know that based on my own personal sense of calling to serve as the pastor of this church and the strong vote of affirmation from the members of this congregation, it's my joy to accept your call to serve as your pastor for these next four years. I was thinking about the pastoral vote and just praying for our future together and was just kind of reflecting back on these last two years and was just reminded of the fact that it was on February 13th, 2020 that I got an email from Bob Burchell. 
And it kind of came out of the blue. It just arrived in my inbox and I opened up the email and it just simply said, in a recent meeting of the pastoral search committee, your name came to mind as someone who might want to be the pastor at Lakeview Church and we would welcome your application. Now, what Bob didn't know when he hit send on that email that day is that I had really been praying for Lakeview since early in 2019. Pastor Tim McClellan had invited me to breakfast at Cracker Barrel in Gas City, and we sat together over that breakfast meal. We were discussing a strategic planning retreat that had been facilitated by the Crossroads District back in November of 2018. So we had kind of done this planning retreat, and then Thanksgiving and Christmas, and now it's January, and Pastor Tim wanted to sit down with me to talk about kind of the implementation of these action initiatives. And so we met for breakfast, and, and we talked, and when I left that breakfast and got in my car and drove back to my house, I I just felt a prompting from the Lord that I was to pray for Lakeview, not just for a day or for a couple of weeks, but to really make a commitment to pray for Lakeview on a daily basis. And so basically since the middle of January of 2019, I have prayed for Lakeview Church on almost a daily basis. There are very few days I can count that I did not pray for Lakeview since January of 2019. I started praying for Lakeview that God would guide the church as you were implementing those action initiatives coming right out of that planning retreat. That's what I thought I was supposed to be praying for. And then a few months later, Pastor Tim was diagnosed with cancer. And my prayer shifted. I started praying for God to heal Pastor Tim, that God would would touch his body, that God would restore him and raise him back to the place where he could continue to serve in the pulpit at this church. And I prayed for that faithfully on a daily and regular basis. And then, of course, a few months later, my prayers had to shift again when God made the decision that it was time for Pastor Tim to pass from this life to the next one. And I started praying for Lakeview in a different way that in that season of losing a pastor who was in the pulpit when he passed away, to to just pray for God to heal and comfort and guide this church in what is a difficult season that most churches never have to face. And I prayed for that faithfully. And then Lenny Lucetti, a really good friend of mine, was appointed to be the interim pastor here. And so I just started praying for Lenny. I started praying that God would anoint Lenny and and really allow him to provide excellent interim leadership for this congregation. I started praying for Lakeview to identify who the next pastor would be. And I prayed faithfully for Lenny and for the church and for the pastoral search process all the way into the fall. And all through all of that, never had one moment of thinking that you guys would ever be stuck with me. And as I prayed faithfully for the church, it was late in the fall of November, or I think it was around November 2019, late in the fall, I was praying one morning at my dining room table, and I just had this crazy thought, what if I became the pastor of Lakeview Church? And I thought that was such a crazy thought that I just quickly put that out of my mind and just prayed for God to send the right person to this church. But over the next few weeks, God kept bringing it back to mind. And so I prayed a prayer to the Lord that I've prayed on many different occasions throughout my leadership journey. I said, Lord, you know that I belong to you 
which means I will go wherever you send me to go. I will do whatever you tell me to do, and I will say whatever you tell me to say. So Lord, if you want me to be the pastor of Lakeview Church, I'll do it. And I kind of left it there, except I did like a little PS, you know, like a little addendum on the prayer. And I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I need to know that this is what you want me to do. And so, Lord, I'm making a commitment today that I'm not going to talk to anybody about this, not even my wife. This is just a conversation between you and me, Lord. And so if you ever want me to be the pastor of Lakeview Church, you're going to have to open the door by having the church ask me to apply. Because if they don't ask me to apply, I'm going to assume that you do not want me to do this. And I kept it quiet. And you can ask my wife. She had no clue until Bob sent me that email. I just kept praying about it. I wrote about it in my journal for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then on February 10th or 11th, I was praying and I knew because I worked in the district office for the Crossroads District that you guys were getting ready to start interviewing kind of a final list of candidates that you had narrowed down the pool to and you were gonna do some interviews and maybe invite some people on site for interviews and then potentially present one of them as a candidate to become your next pastor. And I, I knew about all of that. And so in a prayer time, and this is a direct quote, this is what I said to the Lord. I guess I'm off the hook. Because no one has asked me to apply and that was kind of the deal that we made, Lord, so that I would know that it was you. And so, so God, of these candidates that are on the list, would you just help the team and the board and the congregation and the candidate to know for sure that this is your plan for the next season at Lakeview Church? And I just faithfully prayed that on the 11th and on the 12th and even the morning of the 13th. And then I get an email from Bob Birchall. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, I'm not exactly sure why I'm telling you that story this morning, except to just underscore this fact, which I want every single one of you to know. I am here as your pastor, not because you voted for it, but because I believe God called me here to be your pastor. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for your vote because it's very affirming that I'm not just crazy. So, um, but to know that God was already calling me and then to sense the affirmation of God's people and to know that God has brought us together for this time to see this church move into the future that God has for us. And I believe that there are some exciting days ahead for us as a body of people. Amen? I was thinking about the fact that when I started two years ago, uh, I was hoping that there was a congregation. Right? Because if you remember back in May of 2020, you guys weren't here. Like you guys were like in your PJs, in your living room, coming to church, right? Like that's kind of the way it was in May of 2020. And, and I was standing up here on this stage looking at a camera that was about right there and just praying 
that there was a congregation somewhere out there. But even remember back in May of 2020 when we were online church at that time, even then we started with 21 days of prayer. Because we were committed that this next season of Lakeview Church would really be started and founded upon a spiritual fervency that says, God, we are seeking you and your plan and your purpose for our congregation. And we moved into the fall and we went to prayer again. We had a 90-day prayer challenge where I asked you to pray for three things. For vision, for unity, and for courage. And during that 90-day period of time, we had 11 focus groups across the congregation. We invited counselors from the counseling center to join those focus groups. We invited the staff from Lakeview Christian School to join those focus groups. And we had over 160 of you joined those groups and you spoke in to the future of our church. You said what God had put in your hearts to say and during that same period of time, our local board of administration appointed a vision team team comprised of board members and staff members and members of our congregation. And their job was really to take all of the notes from those focus groups. And there were a lot of notes, 17 pages, single spaced, 10 point font. It, there were a lot of notes. And that team looked at all of those notes and we just kept asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can you show us the themes that run through all of these notes? Can you show us the ideas and the initiatives that you are energizing and drawing a circle around so we can know your will for our church? And God was faithful. And that team started crafting a, a five-year vision for our church, just coming right out of what the congregation had shared in those focus groups. We did some feedback sessions with boards and committees and staffs and teams and we even had open forum meetings where some of you came and you asked your questions and, and you, you helped refine that document and make it what it was intended to be as God was leading us. And then that team, we hired a facilitator to come in and help us develop plans so that we could take a vision and put it into action because a vision without an action plan is just a daydream. But when you take a vision and you put plans to it and you begin to do it, now you're actually moving into the future that God has for us. And so over this last year, we've given ourselves to action initiatives like building a discipleship pathway and creating a comprehensive outreach strategy and, and really forming a communication plan so that we as a church would know who we are and where we're headed and how we're gonna get there. And that our communication around those things would be really clear. And so as we look back on these last two years, we've articulated a five-year vision. We've built a discipleship pathway and we've created the corresponding curriculum. We've created it as a church to serve that discipleship pathway and, and, and that's been launched now this fall and into the spring semester of small groups and we're excited about that. In fact, just this week, we got an invitation to allow our discipleship curriculum to be highlighted at district conference so other churches across the Crossroads District can access that curriculum and begin to use it in their own discipleship pathways in their congregations. And we're excited about that. And huge kudos and thanks go to Pastor Jared Webb for all of the work that he has done putting that curriculum together.
During these last two years, we've, we've really turned the corner into small groups. And last uh, fall, just this past fall, we had about 80 some people in small groups. And this spring semester, we have 150 people in small groups. This last year, we've launched our dream team, which is our approach to helping people find their place of service in God's ministry in the church. We have over 200 people who are either on the dream team or in the dream team pipeline. And we're excited about how God is raising up an army of people to serve in the work that God's calling us to do. In the middle of all of that, God has provided for our needs financially. I know some of you religiously look at the back of the bulletin to see kind of how we're doing financially. And it's so good to be able to report to you that just six weeks out from the end of our fiscal year, which comes to conclusion at the end of April, just six weeks out, we're $31,000 ahead of our budgeted income for the year. And we've been controlling our expenses. God's been helping us get more done for less money. And you've been faithful in giving generously, which has allowed us to do things that at the beginning of this fiscal year, we did not know we could do. But because of your faithful giving, we've been able to do that. We got to August of last summer and we knew that we have a wonderful facility that God has blessed us with that so many of you have given to and you've served and sacrificed to see this building become a reality over the decades of our history. And as we, as we realized we had this wonderful facility, this big, big, wonderful facility, that there's a lot of needs to take care of it. Right? We have almost as many HVAC units as we have people in small groups. Right? I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. And, and most of the HVAC units we have are older than my oldest child. Right? I mean, our, our strategy for facility care has been prayer. Lord, please, please let it last one more day. Right? So we got to August and we had zero dollars in our deferred maintenance budget. And we knew that it's not just about paying for a building to get it built. It's about paying to care for a building and to be good stewards of what God's given to us so that we're not just taking care of ministry today, but we're making it possible for ministry into the future. And so in August, we had zero dollars in our deferred maintenance budget. But today, today, just since August, I can report to you we have over $425,000 in our deferred maintenance budget. God has provided for that. And, and, and those are just things just right here in our church, just immediate kinds of things that we can point to. But I want to let you know, we have a counseling center. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. We have a counseling center on the other side of our parking lot professional, licensed, and Christian counselors who come alongside of people who are dealing with mental health issues and relational challenges and spiritual needs in their lives. And our counselors come alongside of them and bring the Bible and Christian principles into those counseling sessions. And we do that for literally thousands of people every year. And we're so excited. God has given us a new executive director for that counseling center, Mike Johnson. He's been a counselor with us for a while, but he's leading that counseling center now. We've been able to hire some new counselors over the last few months. And God is giving us a plan to watch the counseling center grow and expand so that we can serve more people. Listen, I wish we didn't have a need to have a counseling center in our community. But as long as the need exists, 
we ought to do whatever we can to make sure that we are providing Christian counseling to meet those needs. We have a Christian school and we're so blessed to work alongside of Lakeview Christian School. God has given us a wonderful head of school in Justin Simus and Justin and I have a wonderful relationship of partnering and working together. Over these last two years, we've watched our school work through some challenging conversations, right? We, we made the hard decision to go from being a K-12 school to being a K-8 school. Those are not fun or easy decisions to make, but what God's allowed us to do in these last two years is focus in on what we do really well and do it even better. Our goal for this year of enrollment was to have 120 students, and God allowed us to have 131 students enrolled in our Christian school. We beat our goal. That's a good thing. In the middle of that, the school received full accreditation from ACSI, Association of Christian Schools International. And when we met with the accreditation team, they said to us, the relationship between church and school, we've never seen it this good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is doing some wonderful things among us. We've developed a ministry partnership with Westminster Preschool. Some of you know this, but during COVID, our preschool closed and we did not reopen. It was not financially feasible to do so. And we were kind of curious, what is, what is God gonna do with that building? And then Westminster Preschool approached us, a preschool that's been in this community for over 50 years, and they said, we want to open a campus in that building. And so we worked through all of the partnership agreement with them and came to that place. The state gave them about $50,000 to invest in renovating that space and bringing it up to a higher level of academic code for preschools. And we've been able to walk in partnership with them so that we continue today to have a preschool on our property. And we're excited about that. And the partnership we have with Westminster is strong. And we are pleased with the way that God's enabled us to walk with them. Those are all organizational things. But the most important thing that we celebrate today is that over these last two years, we've seen people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've baptized 10 people in the last two years. We've watched people reaffirm, four of them reaffirm their baptism from an earlier part in their life where they maybe were baptized as an infant but stood on this stage and said, I am committing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life and they reaffirm their baptism. And we have more people who are scheduled to be baptized on Easter Sunday in just a few weeks. Amen? God is doing a good work among us. And we have to keep leaning in to the future that he's calling us to pursue. There are good, good days ahead of us. And we just keep pursuing the Lord and following him. So I wanna just pray for us and thank God for the work that he's doing. And then I promise there is a message that I'm gonna share with you today. Some of you are like, what? I thought that was the message. No, no, we're just getting started. So let's pray. God, we come before you in this very moment and we just acknowledge that you are a good, good father. Your leadership, your guidance, your direction, your help, your provision, your favor. Lord, it is so good, so amazing, so trustworthy and faithful. We praise you this morning. God, as we recognize just 
these last two years, just the way that you have helped us navigate so many different challenges. Online church and coming back from COVID and dealing with all of the just different organizational realities that were in front of us. God, getting a direction for the ministry of our church, watching you bring together the church, the counseling center, and the school to recognize that we are one team for the glory of God at this location, for this time, in this community. God, you have been so faithful to us. God, we just simply ask as we begin now, not just to celebrate you for what you've done, but we look to you with faith for what you're going to do in the future. We ask only, God, that you would keep us in step and in line with you. We only want your will. Nothing more and nothing less. So would you guide us? Would you direct us as a church? And as we walk in obedience to you, will you let your hand of favor rest upon this church. And whatever is accomplished, let it be clearly evident that it is you that has done the good work. And may you get all the glory and may you get all the honor and all the praise for whatever is accomplished for your name, for your kingdom, and for your cause. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. So we're in this series called Paradoxology, which is kind of our series leading up to, these, uh, to the uh, celebration of Easter on Easter Sunday. And this word paradoxology, it's probably not a word you use every day. Some of you are, are like, is that really a word? Yes, it really is a word. It literally means the study of a paradox, so to go in and, and look at these statements which seem to be contradictory or absurd or untrue or maybe just flat out incorrect or wrong, to look at these statements that at first glance don't seem right and then to find in those statements a truth contained that actually provides wisdom for our daily lives. And so we're studying a series of statements as we move towards Easter. Today I want to talk to you about how fasting, the kind of abstaining from food, can lead to feasting, having everything that you need. How can lacking something that you need lead to something that you need? How does fasting lead to to feasting. To unpack this phrase, we're going to look at three episodes from Jesus' life and ministry, and we're going to kind of walk through them to see what they teach us about this idea of how fasting can lead us into feasting. So the first one we're going to look at is found in Matthew chapter 4, and this is the story that comes right on the heels of Jesus' baptism. Remember, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He finds John the Baptist there, and he goes into the water, and John baptizes him. The father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son, oh my love, I'm well pleased with him. And then the spirit of God descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, and then right on the heels of this baptism, Jesus leaves the water, and we read these 
these words in Matthew chapter four. They're gonna be on the screen for you. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to understand what's happening here. Jesus is out in the wilderness. He is fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights because he's getting ready to begin his public ministry of teaching and healing and casting out demons between the time of his baptism and the time that he will give his life on the cross. So he goes out into the wilderness for this period of spiritually intense pursuit of his father. He is there giving himself to prayer and fasting. And he is denying himself the nourishment and sustenance that comes from food, physical food. He is not eating the food that his body needs to be sustained and to be nourished. And in the middle of this, the devil comes to him. This is not part of this morning's message, but it's really important for you to know that when you decide in your life to ramp up your spiritual intensity and to pursue God with more of yourself than you ever have before, do not think for a moment that that makes you shielded or protected from the attack of the enemy. Because when you are not pursuing God with spiritual intensity, quite frankly, the enemy doesn't care that much. So the enemy's not worried about you. But when you give yourself to pursue God with everything that is within you, you better be prepared for the enemy to come after you. Because in that moment, the enemy does not like what is happening in your life. They like you to be spiritually lazy. The enemy likes you to not care that much about reading the word of God and pursuing God in prayer and giving yourself to becoming like him. And when you're not giving yourself to those things, the enemy's like, job done. But when you turn yourself to those things, that's when the enemy wants to come. I tell my pastor friends all of the time, I think your church should do 21 days of prayer. I think it's the most meaningful and important activity that you could do in your church at any given point in the year. But I tell them, right after I tell them that, if you're gonna do 21 days of prayer, make sure you count the cost. It will be the most formative thing for your congregation, but it will also put you right on the front lines of the enemy's attack. Be prepared for that. Jesus is fasting from food so that he can go and pray and seek his father's will so that he knows what to do as he enters into his public ministry. And as he's in the middle of that fast, the devil comes to him. And the devil says, I think you're kind of hungry. Look at all these stones around here. 
They kind of look like loaves of bread. Why don't you just speak a word and turn them into bread and you can have all of the physical food that you want. You can sustain and nourish your body in a way that you haven't for the time that this fast has been going on. But it's right here in this moment that Jesus begins to offer us an insight into how fasting leads to feasting. Because Jesus says, I don't need loaves of bread. We don't just live by bread alone. We live by the very words of God. The, the words that come from the mouth and mind of God. That is a nourishment for us in this life. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you don't ever have to eat again. And some of you are like, amen, because I already got lunch on at home and I can't wait to eat it. Right? Jesus is not saying physical food doesn't matter. Give it up. You don't ever have to eat again. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not denying the fact that physical food provides nourishment to our physical bodies. Jesus is just saying that life is not found only in physical nourishment. You can have every bit of food you need to eat for the rest of your days on this planet. But if you are not also feeding on the word of God, you are malnourished. And you are missing out on a feast that God has prepared for you. Keep that episode in your mind as we move to the next one, which is found in John 4. This is the passage that Pastor Jared read for you earlier. This is an interesting story because Jesus finds himself in Samaria, which is a place where a Jew is not supposed to be because Samaritans to the Jews were lesser than the Jews. Why would you as a Jew ever go to Samaria and interact with those people. And yet Jesus finds himself right in Samaria and he locates himself at a place where people will come because they got to get water. And while Jesus is there, his disciples go into the town and while Jesus is there, he interacts with a woman in public. This is a second rule that Jesus breaks. As a Jew, he shouldn't be in Samaria. That's rule number one that he shouldn't have broken. Rule number two, he shouldn't talk to a woman that's not his wife. But he does that. He breaks rule number two. Rule number three, not only is he talking to a woman, but he's talking to a woman whose life has not been as respectable as it should have been according to all of the standards of the day. She's been married and divorced multiple times and currently, as Jesus interacts with her, she is living with someone who she is not married to. And Jesus doesn't seem to care. He just interacts with her and introduces the fact that the Messiah that she knows should be coming is in fact standing in front of her right now. The Messiah who's going to save the world is the Messiah that's breaking the rules of the day to interact with someone who right now is far away from him and needs to understand the truth that he has to offer. There are so many things we could talk about related to that this morning. 
Jesus is having this conversation and his disciples come back and they're like, why are you talking to her? People don't, you don't do this, Jesus. You could be canceled. (laughs) You're doing something that goes against all of the cultural rules of the day and Jesus doesn't care. And then his disciples realize he's probably lightheaded because he hasn't eaten. That's why he's breaking the rules. He's not thinking straight because he is lacking food. So they say, Rabbi, please eat something. And I love the way Jesus responds. Look at it in John 4, verses 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now again, Jesus is not saying physical food doesn't matter. He's just saying that if you have every bit of food you need to eat for the rest of your life, but you are not living your life to do the will of God and to be partnered with God in the work that he is doing in our world today, then you are malnourished. Jesus fasts from food and he feasts on the word of God. He fasts from food and he feasts on doing the will of God. And if we have every bit of food that we ever need to eat, but we don't commit ourselves to the word of God and to the will of God, we will be malnourished. We will not be the people that God wants us to be. Hold on to those two pictures as we look at the third one, which is found in Matthew chapter 17. And I'm just gonna read these verses for you. They're gonna be on the screen, beginning in verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon that was in the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Let me explain to you what's happening here. This person has brought their child to, to the disciples to be healed, for the demon to be cast out of this boy because the demon wants to destroy this boy's life. And so they bring their child to the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and they try to heal the boy, but they are incapable of doing so. They lack the capacity to cast the demon out and heal the child. And so this parent now kind of as a last resort says, well, if the disciples can't do it, maybe Jesus can do it. 
So they bring their child to Jesus. Jesus, we tried to get your disciples to heal our boy, but they didn't have the power or the capacity to do so. Jesus, can you heal our boy? And, and I love this story because it lets us see the humanity of Jesus. He's clearly God, no doubt about that. But this is a glimpse of Jesus as a human being because he loses his patience, which makes me feel better about my humanity sometimes. Jesus gets frustrated and he goes on a little rant. It's a short rant, but it's a rant nonetheless. You faithless and corrupt people. Pastor Chris Hodges from the Church of the Highlands talks about this passage and he says it this way. He says, being faithless means that we don't have a deep connection with God and being a corrupt people means our connection with the world is too strong. Jesus is pointing out a problem of the people standing around and his own disciples. You don't believe God enough and you're too enveloped in the ways of the world. And because you lack faith in God and you're too connected to the world, you do not have the spiritual um, power necessary to deal with these problems that this boy is facing. And so Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Because you might be faithless and corrupt, but I'm not. And Jesus, with a word, casts that demon out of that boy. And from that moment, that boy is made well. Now, this same story is found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. And we're not going to read it there except for two verses, verses 28 and 29. Because I want you to see a little bit more of what Jesus said that's not recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. In Mark chapter nine, verses 28 and 29, it says this, afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus said, this can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. There are some issues in our day that you as a follower of Jesus will not have the spiritual resources necessary to deal with if you do not have a spiritual intensity that is required to deal with those issues. Let me say it another way. If you live your Christian life in the natural realities of this world, thinking all you need to do is just eat physical food and live your life as a follower of Jesus, you will not be able to address the spiritual problems of our day because the problems of our day require us to have a spiritual intensity that says, God, only you can solve this problem. And what I fear for the church in North America is that we are trying to live our Christian lives as natural people. But what God is looking for is a spiritual people 
who are so connected and believing of God's power and capacity and appropriately disconnected from this world so that God's spirit and God's power can work through us just like God's power worked through Jesus. In Matthew chapter 17, if you have your English translation, you know, right, the Bible wasn't written in English. Right, we're like a new language, right? So this, the Bible, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, and we've had faithful translators who have taken those words and put them into the common language of the day throughout the centuries. If you read Matthew chapter 17, in your English translation, you might get to the end of verse 20, and then if you look to the very next word, you'll find verse 22. And if you took math class and learned how to count, Say, what happened to 21? If your English Bible jumps from verse 20 to verse 22, it's because there's probably a footnote at the bottom of the page or in the margin that says something like this. Verse 21 is found only in some manuscripts. You know what verse 21 says? Verse 21 says, this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. The same verses we find in Mark chapter nine. See, the reality is, is that Jesus fasts from food and he feasts on the word. He fasts from food and he feasts on the will of God. And because he was this person who was fasting and seeking his father's will, he had the spiritual resources necessary in that moment to cast that demon out. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, but Jesus is God. Yes, 100%. But Jesus is also at the very same time, 100% human. We often read the gospels and think that they are trying to reveal God to us and they are. But at the very same time, the gospels are trying to reveal to us what it looks like to be human. Jesus did not just come to show you God. Jesus came to show you what a human life looks like when it is completely surrendered and sold out to God. Which brings me to words Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he said, you guys are gonna get to do better things than I have ever done. because I'm going to be with the Father and I'm going to send another counselor to walk alongside of you. And when the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you are living the kind of life that my Father wants you to live filled with the Spirit of God, you can have a spiritual power that looks just like the spiritual power I had when I was here. I think we have a long way to go to live up into the life that Jesus has called us to live as his followers. I think we go through much of our Christian life just experiencing life like everyone else. As followers of Jesus, yes. On our way to heaven, yes. But I think we live below the spiritual power that God intends for us to have. Which reminds me of words that Paul wrote when he was writing about the church and he said, you guys have a form of godliness, but you deny the power that's in that life. 
I don't ever want that to be said of us. May we learn to fast from physical food for periods of time so that we can feast on the word of God, so that we can feast on the will of God, and so that we can exhibit the power of God that our world needs to see today. I want to see revival happen in our day and in our time. And I think one of the things that will need to be seen by the world in order for revival to occur is they are going to need to see miracles. Our words will not be enough to convince them. But when God does things that only God can get the credit for, then all of the sudden our words will have more meaning in a watching world. So this morning, as I was praying early today, I wrote down three statements. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to invite the team to come back. That's your cue, guys. <laughs> I told them before the service that they need to listen for their cue. And that's their cue to come back. I wrote down three phrases this morning that I think kind of deal with the application of this message to our lives. Number one, some of us want to tackle spiritual problems with physical resources. Some of us want to tackle spiritual problems with physical resources and we find ourselves like the disciples. Why can't we cast this out? Because we're using the wrong tool for the job. I want you to know that I believe strongly in justice, but we live in a day of social justice and activism. And, and I think there's an error in that. Because I think sometimes we deal with social issues and, and we kind of have an activist bent in our personality and we're going to fix the systems and we're going to solve the problems and we're going to correct the legislation and we're going to do all of these things. But listen, I want to tell you right now, if we make every wrong right in the systems of this world and we never deal with the spiritual reality of the fact that if a soul does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will still spend a Christless eternity separated from their creator. We may have fixed the systems of our world, but we will not have accomplished what God put us here to accomplish. I believe in justice and we should stand for it because our God is just and he is right, and he is true. But we cannot deal with spiritual problems just by moving physical resources around. Second thing I wrote down this morning, some of us lack the spiritual intensity required to be used to advance God's kingdom in the middle of a wicked world. I'm just calling you, right? You called me to be your pastor and I'm calling you as your pastor to increase the intensity of your spiritual life. We live in a corrupt day. The foundations of truth are being shaken and attacked. 
your faith will come under fire in the days ahead. Not like your coworker might not like you as much as they did last week if you tell them you're a Christian. I don't mean that. I mean, you might actually face real ramifications for your faith. And what we know is that in the end days, as the pressure gets turned up, there will be many who will fall away. You need a more intense spiritual life for the days that we are getting ready to walk into than many of you have right now, myself included. Let's all of us as a church commit to seek God with everything that is within us. Third statement, and then we're gonna sing a song together. The greatest need the world has is for a church that is feasting on the word of God, the will of God, and the power of God. Some people think that, that what the world needs is a church that's more relevant, looks more like the world, speaks the world's language. I don't agree. I think what the world needs is a church that looks like an alternative community to the way the world is living its life right now. They need to look at the church and see that this way of life, a life centered on Jesus, full of his spirit, that exemplifies the character of Christ in this world, that kind of church, they can look at that and say, they're different and it works. That's the biggest gift we can give to the world. A church that's feasting on the word of God, the will of God, and the power of God. So this morning, I want to invite you to stand. I've asked the team to sing a song. It's not one of their normal songs that they do as they travel around, but they've been so gracious. It's a song that most of you are going to know. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And as we sing this song this morning, some of you need to come to this altar and just make a commitment between you and the Lord that you are gonna ramp up your spiritual intensity. That you're gonna feast on the word of God and the will of God and the power of God so that we as a people can become everything that God wants us to be. So as we sing this song, I just wanna invite you, if God's prompting your heart to just step out and come and kneel or stand and let's seek God together, we're just gonna sing a verse and a couple choruses and then I'm gonna pray for us. So team, lead us. Come to this altar. It's open now for you to come and seek the Lord. God, that is our prayer this morning. Lord, we don't ever want to hear you say of us, you faithless and corrupt people. We want to be people who believe fully in your power and your capacity and your grace and your truth. And at the very same time, God, we want to be people who are appropriately disconnected from this world so that we are available to you to be used of you 
in any way that you see fit. I pray for my brothers and sisters at this altar this morning, even as I pray for my own spiritual life, that you would help us become the kind of people that this world needs us to be. God, may we truly disconnect from this world so that we can be fully sold out to you. God, let us give that gift to the world. A church, a body of people assembled around the person of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, and in step and in line with your will for our lives so that, God, we have the power that is needed to advance your kingdom in this world. God, help us, we pray, and may you do your work in us in such a way that you get all the glory and all the honor. Pray these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.